Welcome to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. And this last weekend, Texas fans, every one of us got a trophy. And the Texas Longhorns got a trophy, and that trophy was well-deserved. It was the Big 12 title. That is a tangible, real title, and it lives forever. Texas was the alpha and the omega of the Big 12, winning the first and the last we're not going to talk about everything that happened in, in the middle. That's not important. What matters is how you start and how you finish. That's what I was taught. And then they got something that could lead to the biggest trophy at all. It, it's an incredible prize nonetheless. And that is a bid to the college football playoff. They are in the final four. They're going to be playing in the Sugar Bowl against the Washington Huskies. I'm joined by the intrepid Ian Boyd. The man's so cool. All he wanted to do was win the Big 12. And the playoff was irrelevant to him. But now he's moderately interested in the playoffs. I, that's my vibe I'm reading off of him. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, playoffs are okay? No, I, I actually um, don't report me to Governor, Governor Whitmer or judge me. But on my phone, unlike my – I was like driving my kids to a, a lunch after church – and I put my phone like on my lap or on the side panel on the minivan and put on YouTube TV and put on the playoff show. And so I had it on while they were announcing all the teams. And after they played Texas, I uh, ripped the toy story disc out of the, out of the sound system and uh, made them endure Texas fight at loud, at loud volume. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for you, man. You're a good father. I, uh, so I watch the game by myself, which some, which I sometimes like, sometimes I don't like. It depends. Sometimes you want to share something with someone, right? Sometimes I like to watch it by myself because I don't want someone prattling in my ear about nonsense or inanities, right? Um, I could watch with you because we'd both be watching the same things and making the same comments, right? But um, my son wasn't with me. I text, I texted him like his mom to say, hey, did he watch the game? Did he? And she said, he's been out in the backyard for the last hour at his Ewers jersey, throwing a ball into a net and just screaming Texas fight and doing snaps, like all the stuff you do as a kid, you know, three seconds to go, Quinn Ewers drops back. And I was like, well, don't tell him it was a blowout. He's like, oh, he's aware. So yeah, man, it was pretty awesome. Paul, how old were you when you stopped doing that? Uh, 31. <laughs> yeah. Suck the joy out of these <laughs> questions from here. I used to do a thing, uh, my old house, the house my mom still lives in. I had taped a square on a brick wall on the patio and I would bounce past a ball off that and when it ricocheted back to me, I had three seconds to drive to drive down the sidewalk to my basketball goal and hit a game-winning shot. <laughs> and I I would do this no joke for two or three hours at a time. I, so I'm not I'm not a good basketball player, but to this day, if you ask me to take three dribbles and shoot a runner, I'm I'm pretty good. It's built into my muscle memory. I have very similar stories. I had a gravel or not even a gravel like a limestone rock uneven driveway that i played basketball on and i mastered the corner three because it was the only part of the 
court I had that was like level. And so I would take corner three shots just from the left side all the time. And whenever I played basketball, like in pickup basketball, like in college or whatever, I could, we, we'd play like ones and twos. And I, I would have games where I just dominated just because I had a million, <laughs> just standing in the spot, just standing in the spot and hitting open threes. But the rest of my game was like ranged from adequate to deficient, potentially <laughs> <laughs> like team sabotagingly bad. Well, I can tell you there was no one on the Texas Longhorns on Saturday. It was team sabotagingly bad. Um, there might have been a couple of players for Louisville who were team sabotagingly bad. I'd, I'd like to get three hours of my life back on that one. But Texas wins resoundingly the Big 12 title. I want to focus, if you're okay with it, on the road still ahead. Uh, I think we've kind of picked apart the Cowboys. Uh, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about that more with Randy. Yeah. He was there because I, I know he was there. I want to get his impressions. First of all, the worst national anthem I've ever heard. Did you hear this jack off? Brief I, in and out. It, it was a country music guy who can't sing. And he was trying to sing the national anthem like it was a country, like a dirt road country song. And he can't sing anyway. So it's not even like George Strait singing the national anthem, which would be fine. And he was the most obvious, like Nashville produced fake outlaw boy. And it's just like everything I detest in Nashville country music and it rep- what it represents. So I was going nuts watching it on TV and texting people who are at the games like, is this as bad as in person as I'm seeing on TV? And they were all like, worse. This is possibly the worst thing I've ever heard. Are you a Sturgill guy? Am I what? Sturgill guy? Sturgill? Sturgill Simpson? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like Sturgill Simpson. Okay. Um, so yeah, beyond the fact that Randy will have some really good insights from being in the, in the building, we kind of nailed it anyway in our preview. We did. It played out like we thought. What happened happened. And by the way, Texas holds Ollie Gordon to 2.6 yards per carry. We didn't load the box. Yeah. I mean, you know, third and two or fourth and one, you know, we did, but pretty interesting the only exception to that is um i'm surprised more teams didn't really well i know why teams so if teams would play like trips removed texas would not have jalen ford leave the box they'd keep him in the box and they'd give away space to the number three receiver and it teams couldn't really take advantage of it all year because jade jade baron would snuff those out and just Mm -hmm. destroy the blocking so bad that Texas could play uh, without like making their linebacker play in space. They could still shut those screens down. Got to look out for that next year when Barron's not around anymore. Oklahoma state actually went to that a little bit late and, and actually had some success with it, but it was too little, too late. Too little, too late. Well, I mean, your offense is just dominating like that. Yeah. You're just going to win. Yeah. And uh, I, it was an enjoyable win. Probably. I, I mean, we don't know but probably a necessary win and pro I mean, obviously a necessary win, but the way we won. Yeah. As it turns out, I think if we kick a field goal to win, I'm not sure we're in the playoff, man. Yeah. I don't know. I can't prove it. Well, here's the thing though. Texas is seated three. And so the thing was like, okay, 
it's it's the the debate is Alabama versus Florida State. Right. I think really they had to put Alabama in. And if you put Alabama in, you had to put Texas in. Right. So that's I, I was just talking to someone about this. We and Alabama had a beneficial, mutually symbiotic, symbiotic relationship the entire season. It's amazing. Which, which is as we won, they were strengthened. As they won, our record, our resume was strengthened. We win the Big 12. That makes Alabama look good. They win the SEC two hours later. That makes Texas look good. And you have this relationship. And by the way, it was key that Texas won by margin in Tuscaloosa, right? If we had won in Austin by a point and, you know, Bama missed an extra point, people would say, ah, oh, you know, that was, ah, oh. No, we went into Tuscaloosa and delivered the biggest winning margin since Nick Saban's been the coach at Alabama. And it looked good, right? Mm-hmm. The, the game looked damn good. It was a great game, but Texas looked damn good, right? Doing it. And that was important. And so people bemoan style points, and I, I get it to a point, but style points is another way of expressing, hey, that team's playing really well. The margin was so big. And you, how many Alabama people were like, it's not the same Alabama team. It's not the same team, which is true. They are significantly improved since the beginning of the year. But then, but then you're like, okay, so is it a nine point game now? Is it a four point game now? Well, the other factor is Ian, we're not the same team. We got healthy. And I think some things started to click, right? I mean, I don't want to make, I don't want to pronounce two games a trend. But the Texas, I would say actually starting in the second half at Iowa State in Ames. Sark has been in his bag as a play caller. The execution has improved. And this pass blocking line that got worked a little bit by Rice in the opener, right? It's a fact. Uh-huh. Now we find out that Rice is actually a semi-respectable team. Went six and six. They're going to a bowl. Wyoming. Right. We were worried about that one. Well, we find out right. Wyoming is kind of respectable. Right. Uh, this pass blocking line is top 10 or top five nationally. And, and they were not that at the beginning of the year. So when Alabama fans say our team is better, correct. They are. Our, uh, Texas is better, too. Anthony Hill. Washington is better. If that Oregon game is any indication, they look like healthy Washington. They look like healthy September, early October, Washington, which when I watched was one of the most terrifying college passing attacks I've seen since you said it, 2019 LSU. Yeah. So let's talk about our opponent. Look, you just want to be in the playoff, but let's talk about our opponent and why this may not be the, the easy draw as some people are claiming. Can I go off on a quick tangent first? Bring it. That's all we do. Yeah. I think that uh, JT Sanders getting healthy was part of why Texas really flipped that switch down the stretch. And in the Oklahoma state in particular, just like teams are not built to handle a tight end that runs like he does. He, what's that three? Uh, uh, but the three meant to me was not just the tight end, which the placement of the tight end on the field is important and his size and all that, Number three. but having three, scary dudes as Washington can attest. Yes. It's just a nightmare for defenses. Yeah. And and the fourth dude, by the way, Whittington, you know, not exactly a scrub. 
Right. Whittington would would be a you know 800 yard receiver for Iowa State. They would they would make him the focus of their offense in a lot of years. And um, also uh, Quinn Ewers was looked better against Oklahoma State. Like he he was no longer as contact shy. I think that might have been like this is a freaking Big Twelve championship, and I'm going to have a month. But he is definitely better when he is comfortable running around a little more. But um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I don't know the healing parameters of an AC joint, uh-huh. but my understanding is just it's steady progress. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I don't know if we can fully assign a percentage to it, but it's going to be the college football playoffs. I think Quinn Ewers is going to run when we play Washington. So that'll be an interesting aspect. Yeah. Now, Washington, they would be foolish to play us man very frequently, but they're going to play us man some. You can't just zone on every down against Steve Sarkeesian, right? Right. I mean, I, my initial read is this is going to be a shootout. I know that Texas played them pretty well in the bowl game last year, but I, I just don't. I think they're better in the passing game. And I think Texas is a little weaker in pass coverage. Um, I don't know why they should be. I mean, they'll be playing some of the same people back there, but they, I don't know. They just, they seem like they are. Um, we'll see. Their, their big three is they're actually, their tight end is pretty darn good too. But he's they like the two. Do they really? They kind of have a blocker who oh, is yeah. capable of catching and then they have Westover, right? The Westover's white, uh huh. So he's like guy. He's like their Sanders, and he's he's pretty good. Um, but then Jalen McMillan, their slot, and that was an apparent. He's been like battling injury all year, and as yes. as the announcers noted in the moment, it was apparent how big a deal it was that he was healthy in the Pac-12 championship against Oregon because he was torching him. Yeah, to, to give some context to Ian, uh. McMillan was a thousand yard receiver last year. He had 468 for them this year, and he was in and out of basically every game. He missed four games, I think. And so it all went to Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk. And Adunze was up to the challenge, and Polk was up to the challenge. Uh, Adunze is going to be a first round NFL draft choice. That's obvious. Polk, a thousand yard receiver. But as you've written eloquently many times, Ian, the slot receiver, very valuable position, particularly in college football, particularly if you have a good passing attack and real threats outside because you make the defense make so many tough choices and, and you almost have to concede something. And it's hard for a defensive coordinator to concede throws outside deep, right? So you end up giving stuff to the slot. And, yep. and that's the that's the danger of that Washington passing offense. Not to mention, there's a guy on the other sideline as a pure offensive architect, every bit the equal of Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. This is the play caller bag bowl. No doubt. It's like these guys, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, maybe Kotelnecki, although we'll see now that he's uh, tied to James Franklin. Um, Kotelnecki, real quick, he's the former KU offensive coordinator. He just got hired at Penn State. Who else would you put up in that that echelon of like elite grab bag play callers? Uh, Jimbo Fisher. 
<laughs> Why are you laughing? Mm, that was great. He he developed Jameis Winston. You had that developed. You just had that loaded in the barrel. Well, I mean, if you're talking elite offensive minds, how can I not? Kyle Shanahan, Jimbo Fisher. Um, no, I. Uh, who who in offense? Who college football? Proven offensive wizards. Huh. Uh, I mean, I think the, I think we just named the the most famous, the top. Munkin. We would have said we would have said Petrino a few years ago. Uh, I mean, more than a few, but sure. Jeff Brom. But I'm taking I'm putting him off the list after last night's performance from Louisville. Yeah, Brom, maybe Brom. Um, oh darn, there's one that I just had and I lost it. Oh well, I think Todd Munkin, but he just left for the NFL. Yeah, yeah, Munkin. I have a lot of respect for Munkin, but he's no longer. Um. This is riveting. This is this riveting. is really good podcasting as we Google names of guys we can throw out. Uh, let's set it, let's settle that list there. The point is, Kalen DeBoer, hell of an offensive coach. Um, look, I, I think we're just all happy and excited. Here's the great news about these four teams, Ian. Everyone can win the national championship, including Washington. I hear y'all grumbling, including Washington. Here's the bad news for Texas. Every one of these four teams can win the national championship. Now, I'm starting to develop a favorite. And I think if Texas can get past Washington, I think we're playing Alabama. I, I don't know what's going on with Michigan. But you and I were talking about it briefly before. Something's a little off in their passing game. J.J. McCarthy's play has not inspired confidence. If that's a result of injury, well, we might see a very different Michigan but their offensive line is severely degraded and that's evident when they play better defenses. Yeah. They are not as good at tackle this year is the big thing. They had to bring in transfers because their other guys went pro. Yep. Their other guys were not um, I'm trying to remember who they had last year. They were not actually like, <clears throat> it wasn't a pair of Kelvin banks last year either, but, but one of them was pretty good. And this year it's like a Stanford transfer who's pretty good. And then they have this guy that was just getting eviscerated by Penn State, uh, Carson Barnhart. And uh, they slid him inside to guard because the guard's leg was shattered into pieces against Ohio State. I I think J.J. McCarthy will be healthier in the playoffs, and that makes a big difference. I don't know what his ailment has been the last few weeks, but he's clearly diminished as an athlete. And um, when he's healthy, he's an outstanding off athlete. So that makes a big difference. He was like, um, I'm trying to remember his line against Ohio State, but it was like 20 for 24 or 14 for 20. He was very like, they needed him to hit a million short throws to keep the chains running and the clock going. And he hit like all of them. So I, I think they're, I've said all year that I think their passing game is a little underrated, but it has not made the leap into Andrew Luck Express like he had at Stanford that I projected when I picked Michigan in the preseason to win the national championship. Yeah, I made the same pick. And you know what's also been degraded and, and kind of unimpressive? Their run game. Yeah. 
from an explosive standpoint, Michigan was not only consistent last year running the ball, they dropped 70, 80, 50-yard runs on you. A lot of those were Donovan Edwards, but, you know, they're, they're degraded across the board on offense. You know who they are? They're 2009 Texas. They came back with a vengeance, but they're, they still have like the Jordan Shipley Colt deal. But they're secretly powered much more by special teams and deep. Sorry. I got popcorn in my throat. You need popcorn here. They're they're like powered much more by defense and special teams this year. And it's what's made them an elite team. So they they have like the same reputation and brand and, and everyone sees them the same as last year. But the reason they're as good as they were last year, if they in fact are, is because of improvements in other parts of the program which have overridden um losing explosiveness on offense i know and accept that their defense is very good oh there I'm, we go. I'm not sure they're great the the level of big 10 play from offense is so remedial and i don't just mean the talent level i mean even the attempt of offense it's just it's hard to watch and, and there's this belief of like, well, we can all win in the margins. And it's like, well, no, yeah. if everyone plays that way, you, you can't. Yeah. I, I will say this. Michigan to me is the scariest defense for Texas in the big 12, in the, in the, in the playoffs. Because of their secondary and their, their defensive line. And, and the way they're built, they're built to shut down Ohio state mm-hmm. and Ohio state's offense is, honestly very similar to Texas's. I think Ryan Day is less creative than Sark in the run game in maintaining that part of the, the formula. But very a lot of it is very similar. It's like get NFL receivers, draw up schemes to make it really easy for your quarterback to find them down the field and then just go cook and like burn people down the field with endless like set piece offense shot plays, you know? That's that's Texas's game, and Michigan is very very good at defending it. They're very comfortable and too high. They play nickel. They have actually a similar defensive design as Texas, but their blitz package is more sophisticated. They have a lot more of the NFL style zone blitzes where their edges can drop and they confuse your line. The secondary is very good, as you just said. You don't that if there's a way to defend this style of offense, and I don't know that anyone can defend it the way like I don't I don't know if an offense like this you can really shut down and hold below like 20 when it's clicking but Michigan can defend it as well or better than anyone I think yeah if Texas does fake face Michigan I'll probably take the under mm-hmm. I think that'll be a tough game um, I think Bama Michigan will be a t- hard-fought game I just I like how Alabama's playing right now and I just think they match up pretty well I, I, like the first thing that you need to pass, the first check in the box when you play Michigan is, are you going to get physically abused? Like, don't tell me how many pro prospects you have or edge rushers or receivers. Like, are you going to get physically mauled? And, and if the answer is no, then you can proceed. And then now you've got a game and it's going to be a matchup and there's going to be coaching and players will decide it. Alabama's not going to get physically mauled. Texas is not going to get physically mauled. Washington, I actually would 
point people to, they're not as physical as the other three teams, but Washington's issues on defense are not a lack of physicality. No. It's, it's a lack of team speed. Huh. I don't know if they have um, really disruptive defensive tackles. No, but they hold their ground. But they held their ground, against, and especially against Oregon. Mm-hmm. They, they did okay in the first round against Oregon. And then the second round, I don't know if it was the tackles that improved or if just everyone was had the Oregon running back better triangulated in all of their different schemes. But they, oof, man. I, and I, I, thought, I anticipated that that might happen, and I wrote as much. Yeah. I was still surprised by how, how they handled Oregon's run game. I also think they realized in match two that Bo Nix's A dot is seven yards. His average yeah. depth. Of, I mean, he's, you know, he just, he didn't throw down the field to the second half. And by the way, had some success doing so. But the entire first half, it's these little quick throws and, you know, we're trying to hit a fast guy in space and then he's going to break two tackles and do something. And that's, you know, that's an awesome game plan against Stanford. But right. if you get to a certain level of competence on defense, you, you have to open up the playbook. And it's, it was just laughable to, be, laughable to me all year that Bo Nix was in the lead of the Heisman for a good portion of it because he was a quarterback where his head coach and offensive coordinator fear him. Like they fear how he will screw this up if they don't keep him contained in this little cage by the way, he executed great within that cage, but that's to me. That's like I, I'd I'd rather give a Heisman to Jaden Daniels, and I don't yeah. care what the, the record of the team is, you know, because that I watch him play and I go, oh, <laughs> wow, wow, oh, whoa, incredible! How did he do that? And Bo Nix, I'm just like, oh, give me a break! How can you not see this? Slower, Max Duggan. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Max Duggan ended up getting drafted. Yeah, he did. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, if you uh, are rolling in a bunch of cash right now because you've wagered that Texas is going to win over nine and a half games and win Big 12 title and go to the college football playoff, someone on this podcast may have made those bets and won them all. Was it, was it Ian or was it me? Who knows? Uh, if you're rolling in dough right now and you've just created real wealth, there's a gentleman that you need to talk to. He is a die-hard die Longhorn, just like the rest of us, David McClellan. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. He is a fiduciary financial advisor for Form Financial, and he is a partner. And look, his expertise is deep. He's outstanding at what he does. And if you're someone who's accumulating wealth or is managing a fair amount of wealth, he is a voice and a, and a mind that you need to talk to. He's really sharp. He was a multiple national championship winning swimmer at the University of Texas. And now he is phenomenally successful at what he does as a financial advisor. Uh, give him a call. Talk to him. Reach out to him. Text him. Bounce some ideas off him. Tell him your financial situation. Arrange a consultation. Sit down with him over Zoom or over a phone call. And just lay out your situation and, and let him talk to you. At the very minimum, you'll leave that call with some phenomenal advice from a top flight mind. At the maximum, 
you may have a new financial advisor who's going to help you advance all of your wealth goals. So give David a call, 312-933-8823. All right, Ian. Do you want to talk about Michigan, Alabama at all? Or do we want to focus on Texas, Washington? Because I'm sure we're going to talk more between this game and, and focus on more things as you and I dig in. You know something that stuck out to me about Washington? Kind of odd. No, I don't. Okay, so. How about Texas is the revenge tour is like the all the exact same teams as last year. I mean, it's weirdly destiny, right? Except for it's, Alabama, who Texas has very specific history with. In, re- in regards to the fall from grace and now their return. Yeah, well, but I mean, we've already got some revenge on Alabama. And if you could go twofer in the same year, you're you're a well, legend, right? Yeah, I just assumed Michigan took care of it for us. But I, I would as well. But unfortunately, the more I think about that game, uh, I think Alabama is should not be the underdog in that contest. I, my buddy Seth Fisher at MGO Blog was tweeting in outrage, outrage today about the committee letting in Alabama over Florida State. <laughs> well, this is like an injustice to college football. We can talk about that later too, if you want. And uh, I was like, and he was just like, Alabama doesn't belong in the, in the playoffs. This, this is a farce. Scared. I hope, I hope, Michi- hope Michigan, you know, destroys them and shows everybody what's up. And I was just like, man, this is not going to age well, I think. Uh, do you know what's not going to age well at all? The moment it happened, when the announcement was made, they showed the Michigan reaction live. <laughs> I saw that, and everyone gasped, and you heard people audibly go, "Oh, <laughs> oh, oh!" That's soft, dude. That's scared. That's amazing, and you know. They thought it was going to be Florida State and they'd have a bye into the national title game. Because Michigan, look, Ohio State has their little bugbears and gremlins in the back of their brain sitting on their shoulder, right? Michigan has theirs. And that is the first round of the playoffs. And they thought that they were going to get a bye and get over that little hump. And now they have arguably the best team in the country as their four seed. Uh, By the way, Texas arguably the best team in the country. Michigan, arguably the best team in the country. Washington, if it's September, October, Washington, healed Penix a month from now, healed receivers, DeBoer with a month to scheme, arguably the best team in the country. Alabama, though, it's like Michigan. The thing Mm -hmm. is, Michigan's now built to stop Ohio State in the shot passing game. Yeah. They're they're like built to frustrate like Texas and Washington, honestly. Um, they are very good up front on defense, but they are not they're not dominant. And when Jalen Milrow is getting like 20 carries and they're dialing up quarterback power 10 to 15 times behind a much more cohesive and still enormous offensive line now playing in colder weather. It's just not a fun deal. No. I don't know. I, I would say probably Texas and Michigan are better equipped to handle that than Washington, but it's it's going to be a thing for everybody, even Texas. That's going to be a thing. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and then I'll tell you what I found odd uh, a few minutes ago. Michigan did get choice of field and, of course, chose the Rose Bowl. And some people say, oh, it's because of location. Nah, it's because of 
It's because of grass. Uh, and it's also the off chance Southern California could get a drizzle, right? Because uh, at least it's it's an outdoor stadium. Uh, well, plus, Michigan lives to, you know, that's their dream to play in the Rose Bowl, right? Does that really help them that much against Alabama? It's better than playing on the fast turf on the Sugar Bowl. Why? Because Alabama's faster. Are they? I don't know if that's yes. true. Yes. I know it's true. Well, why do you say that? Because I watch them play football. Okay. So when I say fast, I'm not just talking about receivers, running backs, Milrow, which is big. Yeah. I'm also talking about Dallas Turner. I'm also, I mean, that's that's not a, a insignificant thing when you're a pass rusher who's a speed guy. When you can put your foot in turf and sprint around the edge and you've got a firm push off, right? Um, when you push on turf, it pushes back at you. Uh-huh. And you get that rebound, right? When you push on grass, it sinks a little, right? You know, this isn't, you know, Notre Dame growing their grass field to three inches and then leaving sprinklers on the night before. But it is, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, you know, Oklahoma State versus Texas. I thought you saw a Texas benefit from, yeah. from, the, from the track, in my opinion. Gundy said after the game, that Texas was better than they had been on tape. Yes, because we are. And I think some of that was the greatest show on turf kind of effect. Yeah. Because every time, how many times did you see like a um, Quinn checks down to Sanders or Blue, and there's an Oklahoma State guy on them, but he hits them, and then they hit, the, and then they plant their foot and go, and there's just whew, they're gone separation. Watch Keelan Robinson's touchdown run. He, the there's two safeties that both have an angle on them. The first safety just can't catch him. He runs around him. The second guy, Keelan Robinson, puts a a subtle fake on him, and the guy freezes, and he just runs by him, tiptoeing on the sideline. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it, there. There is a, an advantage to it. There is merit to that argument. Uh, here's the weird thing that I saw. So. Quick rule of thumb. This was just sort of, five minutes ago. Yeah. It'll finally reveal. Everybody, everybody. No, it's, it's such a big observation. But a quick rule of thumb, like dirty analysis that you can do that I always find interesting when I'm kind of looking at a team before I dig deeper is I'll look at differential of yards per play over the course of a season. So, and I mean the team itself. So not compared to the other team. How many yards per play do you average on offense? How many yards per play do you surrender on defense? And what's the differential? Now, that doesn't control for schedule and all that. But what it does do is controls for number of plays run. It controls for pace, right? There are teams that average blah, 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 number of yards. But they also hurry up and they, they throw the ball every down, right? So bottom line, if you look at Texas... Our offense averages 6.6 yards per play. Our defense surrenders 5.0 yards per play, 1.6 yards per play differential. It's good. Washington, 7.2 yards per play on offense, 5.6 yards per play surrendered on defense, 1.6 yards per play differential. Hmm. And Texas probably played a moderately more difficult schedule 
don't know. Maybe? Or would you say they're the same? I think the Pac-12 was the second best conference in the country this year. And and Washington faced all the teams in the Pac-12 that you'd wish you could maybe dodge. They played Utah. They played Oregon. They played USC. They played Oregon State. See, this is a... This is an argument we might have here because on a neutral field, everyone might freak out on this. I think I'd take Kansas over USC. Okay. I mean, oh, you don't think that's controversial? I mean... I think the name brand throws people off. Like, oh, could you say that? I think they're actually comparable this year. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty comparable. But I mean, you'd rather, but it's still one more tough game. It's like you play like Utah and you got to get, got to get ready for, you know, just the slobber knocker that'll be. And then it's like, oh, and then now we have to deal with Caleb Williams, who is stressful to play, even if you know you can overcome them. I, I just think the week to week grind in the Pac 12 this year was, was nothing to scoff at, basically. I'm, I'm not sure. So here's why. The Pac-12 impressed early with some signature wins. And with some time and distance, we realized those signature wins were empty and meaningless. Utah beat Florida and edged Baylor. Okay? Two sub-500 teams. Baylor's horrific. Uh, Washington State had a big win, remember? Over Wisconsin. Didn't quite age well, did it? In the Big Ten West. So... We don't know because we don't have good controls outside of their non-con. But I I will say that Arizona really impressed me. And I think that's a team that Washington dodged. Isn't that right? They they may have dodged Arizona. Yeah. They had to have dodged somebody. Yeah. No, no. They obviously didn't dodge them. I meant they didn't have to play them. But um, yeah, I mean, my point is their schedules are comparable. So that kind of quick and dirty points, I mean, uh, play differential may actually kind of encapsulate this, the two teams. Washington's got a, a more explosive offense. We have a better and more consistent defense. But the teams Washington, are in the same. The teams are in the same realm. Washington went into Arizona and won 31-24 on the road. Ooh, never mind. All right. Just got schooled. That's weird because I bet Arizona all the time and I forgot that game. Maybe I, I uh, backed off that one. Thank God. I would have if I were you. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> you know, did you see Arizona's playing OU? Yeah. And you, all the Sooners, the Sooners are in a state right now. Well, and the Sooners, by the way, didn't make a New Year's bowl game. Surprised me a little bit. Oh, no. Aw. Poor Sooners. Why, why are the Sooners in a state? Are they worried Dylan Gabriel's not going to play in the bowl? Um, well, just because it's like Texas. It's like, it's, as you mentioned earlier, would anyone be shocked if Texas won the national championship? Not to get everybody's hopes up. But Sooners, would be, Sooners would be shocked. It's plausible. Yeah. And you can see some of them like admitting like, this would be awful if Texas won the national. This would just be awful. Although if I were them, I'd just be like, "Hey, coach champions." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not seriously, but just a little bit. Um, and then, um, 
the just the juxtaposition of Texas is in position to maybe win a national championship. We just got left out of the last Big 12 championship because the little brother ruined our season. And then Texas smoked that team. So now we're not even in a New Year's Six Bowl and we're playing Arizona. And if we win, no one really cares. And if we lose, like, and then if we lose, it's awful. And it's like, hey, this new upstart Big 12 team of the future. You see, there's like, they're surrounded by downside with no upside to this. Yeah, let me ask, here's the upside maybe for them. I don't think they're going to have any opt-outs, are they? <laughs> no, I mean, no one's going to be drafted. So, Well, I mean, Stutzman has a draft grade. Tyler Guyton has a draft grade. Um, that's true. I don't so think take they, that. Take that, think, Ian. I don't think they care if Guyton plays. I believe Stutzman might be coming back. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Rouse, maybe they lose Rouse. Maybe so. Um, they almost like they may just want like Jackson Arnold to play, right? Like, yeah. what's the upside in trotting Dylan Gabriel out there in a meaningless bowl game? Yeah, that's fair. He's just going to transfer anyway. The one shame of the the playoff is that it has rendered bowl games fairly meaningless, and that's unfortunate because that used to be a real fun highlight of college football. I believe that's uh, why the playoffs are expanding. To create more meaning for a dozen teams while everyone else has none. And, and specifically because if you ever look at the ratings in a football season, bowl games kill. Yeah. Even now when bowl games are like meaningless, they still dominate because people like watching bowl games over the holidays. So if you're at risk of losing that cash cow, what do you do? You have to inject some meaning into those bowl games again. Do you think uh, the best four teams are playing for the title? Maybe. Are we going to do this now? I, I think I think it's possible that Georgia is is one of the four best teams, but I don't I don't feel bad about them being left out. Yeah, they didn't play enough teams. Yeah, it's not their fault, except that they lost Alabama. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, Florida State, I can understand. I feel bad for them from the disappointment perspective. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's a bummer. If, if you were a Florida State fan, you wouldn't like it. Uh, back. Like, that was the bummer. Sorry? You already lost your quarterback. That was the real bummer. Yeah, I, I got to say, I think that there's actually a silver lining in this for them. Here's the reality. They were going to go and get smoked. Yeah. Okay. And people are going to mock them and people are going to say, why are we, why are we playing this game? You're going to have the color analysts saying nicely, perhaps, or not so nicely if it's Joel Klatt, saying we're wasting our time. Why is Alabama sitting at home? Right. And it's kind of humiliating, et cetera. Hey, you won the ACC. And wow. now you get the face-saving being left out of the Final Four. So you can claim some moral victory. Who knows what we would have done? 
maybe we would have upset Michigan and then we would have pummeled Texas in the time, you know, whatever. Right. But now they can have a little grievance. They still get the ACC title. They still have their undefeated season. They're almost weird enough. They're not quite Aggie weird, but they might try to like claim a national title, which would be hilarious if they win their bowl. They're matched up against Georgia. So let's, that will be an interesting motivation bowl because whichever team shows up, uh, I would say Florida State can't win, but they can keep it competitive if a bunch of Georgia guys sit out and they don't want to be there. If Georgia decides we're going to show everybody and poor Florida State shows up <laughs> with Rodemaker, <laughs> this is not going to be good for the Seminoles. So maybe it's better that it's happening in a bowl and not the playoff. I don't know. What do you think? I didn't realize that they played that they drew George in the bowl game. They did. I, didn't, I don't pay attention to the bowl games anymore. Um, I mean, I watch them later, but I'm not like in it eager to find out who's playing in the Cotton Bowl. It's a problem. Um, that's kind of tough, actually, because people are going to use that as a referendum, and um, which is daughter, not, it's not, it's not fair. Yeah, but it's going to happen, and there's nothing yeah. you can do. It's like when a good example of this and and that worked out well for us was Aaron Rodgers and Cal and Texas Tech before he was paid to give his opinions on uh, the McAfee show <laughs> um, was uh, like just like bemoaned that he's like he called Mac Brown classless for politicking for Texas to be in the Rose Bowl over Cal right. And I, you probably remember this. I don't know if all our listeners do, but there were a lot of people that were upset about that, especially Michigan type people. They're like, the Rose Bowl is, Texas doesn't belong in the Rose Bowl. Like you're on the wrong side of town. This is, this is high society. You don't belong here. Right. And um, they, he was so mad. And uh, Cal got sent to the Holiday Bowl and played Texas Tech and got run and texas fans I, I that are listening i hope do you recall that texas went to the rose bowl and played michigan and won yeah i was at that game 50 yard line care of a great alum uh and friend named steve who hooked me up and uh i got to sit there and watch superman and cleats run around and through the michigan wolverines and set off the amazing season that Texas had the next year in 2005, where they returned to the Rose Bowl and won the greatest game ever played. So, yeah, that was awesome. Hey, I got a great story on that, that Holiday Bowl. Mike Leach was interviewed about that. And they said, hey, you know, Cal said they didn't want to be here or they were going to come here and make a statement, you know, all this stuff. When did you have confidence that you knew your team was going to win? And Leach goes, uh, well, uh, you know, about uh, three weeks ago, I was watching film and I saw how fat their safeties were. <laughs> they had these uh, um, fat safeties that can't run. And that's when I knew. And he was right. They had a couple of like 215, 220 pound safeties uh, because the, the pack at the time was pro-style NFL-type offenses, right? Even USC. And so you could play 
too high and, and have two 210 pound, 215 safeties coming down, crashing on the run and uh, not getting exploited because, you know, going anything more than trips was crazy. And, uh, and Tech just ran up and down the field on those guys. Hilarious. I think Marshawn Lynch, was he on that team? He, he might have been. Maybe a young Marshawn Lynch? I can't remember. I think so. I think so. That dude was a stud. And in, in, he's a stud in everything, but he was a stud in college. Holy cow. Yeah, he, he maintained that for a while. Yeah, he was difficult to tackle. Uh, talk about a guy who doesn't like to go down. Hey, here's a guy. i got to say this. <laughs> here's a guy who doesn't like to go down to any opponent. That's Gabe Winslow. Gabe is an outstanding mortgage guy. Uh, you can reach him at 832-557-1095. He is as juiced as we all are about Texas going to the playoff. Uh, we were exchanging nervous text messages, and uh, it all worked out. And uh, he's just like us. You know, you, you have those stupid magazines where they have pictures of the stars, like getting a Starbucks, and it says, they're just like us. Well, Gabe is just like us. He's a crazy fan, and uh, he wants Texas to win. But more importantly, that he wants you to win in your financial life. And the best way you can do that if you're in the market for a mortgage and interest rates are plummeting, baby, it might be time to get out there and go buy that house or refi or restructure a deal. Gabe is the guy to call, 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. He, he is really, really, really bright guy. Uh, I've talked to him personally about a couple of deals that he worked for on li with listeners. And just his ability to put together and structure a deal for very complex situations is second to none. So if you're a straightforward W2 employee and you got everything squared away, it's going to be a breeze for you. Contact Gabe, reach out, find out why he's so competent and why he's so good at what he does. 832-557-1095. All right, Ian, what do we got to talk about here now that we're in the final four, the Texas Longhorns? So, you know, this game... We're in the Sugar Bowl, of course. And then you know where the championship is played, don't you? Well, so the other one is the Rose Bowl. So it, is it in the Cotton Bowl? Or Houston, Arlington again? Houston. Reliant. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I didn't even realize they were a part of this. They're a part of this. How sweet is that? I mean, that's advantageous. Uh, yes, to put it mildly, uh, I mean, it would be extraordinary. So, yeah, that's a that here's would be an amazing way to cap off this season for the University of Texas. Here's the thing. Is Washington your favorite in this tournament? Who's no. your favorite? Uh, Texas and Alabama. Okay. I think Washington is really tough. They're just like, I mean, they're the, they're the kind of team where you have them beat and they go down the field and they beat you and they beat you on a contested catch to Roma Dunze over your best corner mm -hmm. playing textbook coverage in yep. the, corner, the corner of the end zone. I'll say this. They are the team that can make more indefensible plays, yeah. which you just described. 
Okay. Yeah. Michigan has to block everyone. Michigan has to do X, Y, and Z to have a successful play. Alabama's got some improbability with Jalen Milroe. Good, you know, running or hitting a bomb, which he still is very gifted at throwing the deep ball. And then Texas, Texas has got some athletes. I mean, over 300 yards of yours, 452 yards were after the catch. So, you know, like, you know, Texas ain't exactly slow. So I agree with you. That said, it's really hard, although achievable, it's really hard to play out of your mind back to back against good defenses. And if Washington got through Texas, which we pray they do not, if they played Alabama, I actually think Alabama matches up well with them. So, look, there's nothing that you can do to defend a perfect throw to a perfect route to a great receiver. But that's also very difficult to duplicate multiple times in a game. I mean, they've been doing doing it all year. (laughs) Well, I got to stop you. They have not been doing it all year. I mean, they, they kind of have. No. I think they have. Ian, they would not have played Stanford within seven points if they were doing that all year. Uh, well, they, they, they struggled they, with Washington State. I mean, Washington State, A-gap blitzed them and kept getting pressure on Penix. One thing yeah. I want to bring up about Washington, did you know their center is 6'2", 275? feels like deja vu that was that was the that was the narrative when they were going into the playoffs in 2015 they had to they had to play alabama with a 6'1 280 pound center and they won well (laughs) (laughs) did did that defeat the point you were about to make or what, what what were you going with ian no it was just it was. I didn't have a point. I was just struck. okay. Well, so my point is, who are, the, who are the two highest-rated defensive tackles in the United States of America playing college football? Keenan Smith and J- Jaheem Otis. That's right. No, it's Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. Might those gentlemen pose a, a possible problem for a scrappy, two hundred and eighty-pound guy who's trying to get by with technique and 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 leverage? that he may not be able to exert on Mr. Murphy or Mr. Sweat. They better. It sounds like this is one of the most important keys to the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, no joke. If, if you could collapse Penix's pocket, <laughs> if you could collapse the pocket on your Penix, uh, you need to get different underwear. No. If you could collapse the pocket immediately on Penix, that's actually a big deal. Because Washington really hurts you in two ways. That quick game, and then those crazy, long, slow-developing, deep, like, ultra-crossers. And when we say crossers, y'all are thinking of the little shallow crossers that murdered us for long periods of time this year. I'm talking about a guy's lined up in trips on the far hash, and he runs slant-wise all the way across the field, like 20 yards deep. And then Penix throws up a bomb, and it goes for 60, right? They had a couple of those against Oregon. But that is not a route they can throw if you're collapsing the pocket. Fair? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm starting to see the game plan of how victory is possible in this game. Yeah, you got to push the pocket. The other, and the other you gotta, obvious you gotta, one. You got to mess up that center so bad we're like getting botched snaps. You know what I'm saying? They have Texas has two other very useful tools for this purpose too. Well, they have three really. They have the inside loop from a edge. Yep. <clears throat> but then the one I was thinking of primarily was they have Jalen Ford and Anthony Hill. Yep. You got to gap pressure those guys. Now Oregon, yep. Oregon did this, and Dylan Johnson picked up the blitz really, really well. And that's partly why Oregon was buried under the field after the game. But Oregon's linebackers are not Jalen Ford and Anthony Hill. But overrated team. Didn't I say that? Didn't I say that last week on the podcast that I thought they were overrated? I don't remember. It's because they look like a team is supposed to look. And yes. Tons of people. I think I did say this, right? Yeah. And I was like, I... I didn't, I hate, I did not understand minus nine for them against Washington. I was like, Washington is going to scheme up their run game for the championship and you cannot scheme up a 50, 50 ball to Roma Dunze. Just, I don't know. Drives me nuts. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'll say this. We've got a short circuit their offense at the source because we're not going to short circuit their offense once the ball's in the air. like um a dominant post score you got to do your work i mean this is true actually of everything in sports you got to do your work early and keep yeah. them in that spot that they're in when they put up their highlight reel Here, here's, here's the other thought you and i've talked about it randy and i have talked about it we've been frustrated by it um we've got a month to prepare if you want to throw Kalen DeBoer an off-speed pitch that could give you the advantage while your offense gets a, gets a lead. Oh, my gosh. It's the dime, Ian. Can we put in a true dime and don't respond for Maurice Blackwell? You know what I mean? I mean a real dime. And Ryan Watts should be healthy by then. That'd be a good idea. I thought at one moment... I saw Oregon had a tiny dude in the boundary. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, are they in a dime? Have they been in this the whole game? This is a good idea. And then Washington threw to the other side of the field. And the outside linebacker on the other side of the field was enormous. And I was like, nope, they just, they're not in a dime. And they yeah. weren't. They were in their same nickel defense. I, I cannot imagine... I mean, Texas may do it because they play nickel all the time. Washington is 100% one of those teams like LSU back in the day where I'd be like, maybe we run a dime this week. Yeah. They can run the ball pretty well. But, uh, boy, you know, you like your odds of getting beat there a lot better than having to cover those guys. Yeah, and and honestly – you feel more comfortable from a dime trying to actually do some disruption at the line of scrimmage and, and some pressing, right? Not to surrender 
some of those gimme throws that Penix and then those guys were so good at because you could still hold two safeties deep. You know, you still have covers. And yeah, I, I think there's value in that. I And I also like, you know, what's people think because you're in a dime, you know, three, two, six is what I'm thinking. Yeah, people think because you're in a dime, you're rushing three. Well, the dime describes your personnel. You know, it describes the players, the positions of the players on the field. You could bring four. You could bring five. You can bring six. You can run a zero blitz from a dime. I don't recommend it. But, you know, I think we the idea is you play Ford and Hill, and one or both of them is coming every time with those three down linemen. And those three down linemen are on a rotation, right? And yep. we, just keep, we just tell them, hey, man, I'm looking for you to give the most 35 maniacal snaps of your career, and we're not going to keep you in long. Just, like, put it all out there, and then we're going to give you a good rest, and someone else is going to tap and, and replace you. I feel like that that's something that Washington will not have seen all year. In fact, I know they would not have seen that all year, particularly from the level of athlete that they'd see snap after snap. So who would you put? So I'm totally three, two, six for sure. Ford and Hill inside you're blitzing one or both of them. 50% of the time or more. I guess. So who are you taking off the field? And who replaces him? So the well, as I said with the defensive line, Sorrell's going to play. Burke's going to play. Alfred Collins is going to play. Sweat's going to play. Murphy's going to play. Obviously, uh, Broughton's going to play. We're going to run a rotation, and we're going to have cert. We're going to have the best guys privileged. They're they're slated for forty snaps, forty five snaps, right? And then the the guys who are going to spell them have their snaps, uh, and then we're just going to run run it through. Now we're not going to have Sorrell and Burke and Jet Bush out there at the same time, obviously you're always going to have at least one anchor, probably two, right? Um, what position do you remove, though, for the extra defensive back? Uh, down lineman. Which one? I think you get rid of one of the, the edges. Yeah. Like the buck, maybe? Yeah. And, and you know, that this is a game where Justice Finkley won't, won't get any snaps. Right, or he'll get very minimal. And then um, who, who who comes in? And and I have to remind you that because of that Bush League nonsensical targeting call, you're down Derek Williams. So is that true or not? Because Jerry was under the impression that it was applied to the first regular season game of the next year. Uh we, me and him talked about it on the on the watch with us live stream. Okay, somebody was telling him that it, it is the bowl game, but wow. I don't know if we arrived at a conclusion. What a chicken shit call! Yes, God, unreal. All right, well, so I think early I would go coverage heavy, and so you're I'm I'm going to have Jade out there, obviously. Uh, I want Malik. I want Gavin Holmes. I want Ryan Watts, particularly. He should be good to go. And then I want Terrence Brooks relieving them because they're all going to have to go, right? So so who's the guy? So like if we take... So we're going to start the game with Taff and Thompson at safety. If you take the buck off the field and you play three down and then you maybe you play a tight or whatever, 
Yeah. Now you have an outside linebacker in the boundary that's not actually an outside linebacker. He's a defensive back. I, I might put Watts there. Watts. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would be really I interesting. Done it at any point ever before now. Yeah. And and also, as you know, Washington likes to bunch. Um, that's very useful. I mean, as you know, having a guy who's big and strong jacking up the lead guy in the bunch can actually mess up routes pretty bad on their release. Um, and I, and then Watts, I think he's plenty physical enough to hold up in space. So the question is, are they going to beat us running Dylan Johnson? I don't think so. No, probably not. No, even if we're at disadvantage, right? And by the way, you can also, you could play a three, two, six and still have six in the box. Right. Yeah. I, I'm pretty frustrated that I don't think we're going to do this. I know, but it sounds like a great idea. It is a great idea. If you, if you are confident that you can get it installed and ready to go in the bowl practices, you might just try your goal. I mean, yes, if you can't install it and, and make it work, no, don't mess with it. But I think you can because the principles of it aren't crazy, right? You're not drastically having people do, you know, dramatically different things. But what is interesting is maybe you're just trying to get a half out of it. Maybe you're trying to go up 24-7 at halftime. And then when the inevitable adjustments come in the third and they score on their opening drive or whatever, you're like, all right, now we got our, our, our football game. We staked ourselves to a lead. Let's keep scoring and let's hold them off. Because that's really the key with Washington. They're going to make a late surge and they're going to have an opportunity to try to win the game late. And you, you need to have enough points on the board that you have some margin. You need to be up by 10 and not up by three. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, Texas can maybe trade shots with them late, but you know, Pete Kwiatkowski actually did exactly this when he played Washington state, mm -hmm. Washington, the three, two, six, uh, play with two nickels basically instead of an edge. Um, I just had another. I will say this though, Ian, as much as we love Leach and, and revere him and think he's a great character, DeBoer is a more sophisticated offensive coach in terms of solutions, like in-game. I think Leach had a great feel for the game from a macro level. I just thought of my other point, which okay, I go ahead. Will Muschamp went in into 2008 with a three-two-six. Or something like that. Something crazy. And um, Leach ran it over. And Muschamp had to adjust and just say, okay, we'll play nickel. And we'll just do what we can. Yeah, I mean, if you remember Orlando's first year, we were a base 3-2-6. The Dirty Dime. Remember that? Yep. So, and devastating defense. I mean, Deshaun Elliott, how many freaking interceptions did that guy have that year? Eight? Seven or eight. Yeah. So, all right. We, we've, uh, we've already got the solution. You guys need to uh, send this podcast to Pete Kwiatkowski because we've covered everything with our generalities. We've, we've addressed every possible motion and formation that the offense could line up in. We're set. We're good to go. Uh, hey, Ian, 
I want to wrap this up because I know you and I are prone to uh, lengthy dispositions. Uh, let's do this again. And I, I couldn't be happier with the horns. I know you couldn't be happier either, despite your understated too cool for school manner. You're trying to adhere to your the Big 12 title is the thing that matters. And the playoffs, you're like, eh, they're all right. I appreciate the, your, your adherence to the bit. But uh, anything we need to talk about before we sign off and say goodbye to the good, good people? Do you want to talk about Washington's defense at all? You want to do that next time? Sure. Okay. We're going to leave it with the cliffhanger. We're going to talk about the Washington defense. Remember the name Braylon Trice. That's your teaser. Power outside rusher, uh, about 6'4", 275. He'll probably be a second-day NFL draft pick. But he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a load. He's a handful. We'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about my feelings that they're better coached than people know, but not quite as athletic maybe as, as you would think for a team that's in the Final Four. So with that cliffhanger, I have one request. Really means a lot if you guys subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen, Spotify, iTunes. Those are the two big major uh, places. Uh, definitely appreciate if you can just subscribe, rate, and review. And then if you enjoy it, tell a friend. It counts for a lot. means a lot. And then finally, as you guys know, or you might have forgotten, I am the author of the 2023 Longhorn Football Prospectus, which predicted the mighty Texas Longhorns would win the Big 12 with an 8-1 conference regular season record. That did come to fruition. And I think it might be a fun thing, if you didn't buy one, to buy on Amazon, a paperback version, and keep it on your coffee table. It's a fun memento. Uh, who knows what might happen with this season? Might be something that you, valuable, uh, that you value quite a bit. Uh, I think this 12-1 season in and of itself deserves that, but who knows what happens with the Longhorns in this tournament. So, Ian, any final words before we're finally out of here? No, well, okay. No. No, it's oh, he was going to open up a whole can of worms. I was going to do it as a joke and then I was going to do it on accident. And I'm just going to uh, filter myself and say next time. Ian was going to mention that I predicted Baylor uh, would go six and six in my preview. And uh, they're three and nine. Definitely not what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Hey, for Ian Boyd, I am Paul Wadlington saying not Texas is back. But Texas is back. This is back. Hook them. See y'all. Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas. Even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, you need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura if you're thinking about putting your house on the market. This is a great time to get market comps. Uh, if you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505.